Alex Moss, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining me today. Good to be here. So uh, we've uh, known each other. I've known your company for a long time, but we were just talking, and it's uh, you founded about uh, 14 years ago, a security company. Uh, is it formally Conventus and now Northstar, or maybe give us a little of your background and how that all evolved? Sure. Um, it, it is Northstar now. We started as Conventus, um, which again, as a business owner, you know how challenging it can be yeah. to find a name as you start. Yeah. Uh, the fortunate thing was we got to, we got a bit of a do-over. Um, and, and the primary reason was we were started as a consulting business and then transformed into a software company. So Northstar was the name of the internal code name for this project that we sure. started out of one of our consulting practices. And then it evolved and wound up evolving our entire business. Yeah. So. Well, it's amazing because as a, a lot of consulting companies I know of, that's the grass is greener over there on product land. So congratulations uh, to you. I'm sure lots of people are envious to that transition. Thank you. It was, yeah. it was difficult. It, uh, there was a lot of challenges that were introduced. Um, and, you know, you hear the analogies of kind of, you know, it's turning a ship or whatever. I equate it to, I always said, you know, the bus is going around a really sharp corner. <laughs> Everybody's got to hold on. And the ones yeah. that, you know, the pieces that can't hold on aren't going to, aren't going to make it as part of this, of what our business is going to be. Yeah. But that, that's a great analogy. I mean, frankly, the the turning of the battleship metaphor. Now that you mention it, has always seemed sort of very peaceful and just that's a nice slow gradual turn. It is yeah. not that at all. I love the uh, the your the that movie Speed comes to mind. You're turning a bus <laughs> on that corner. There you I love go. It. That's fantastic. Um, well, the reason that uh, I, I want to talk to you is that um, kind of thinking about you know your specialty and your company's specialty in security and, and cybersecurity that. Uh, there might be some interesting things that maybe people aren't aware of or things that like CEOs should pay attention to. And I gave you the the challenge of, you know, what are three things that uh, people should focus on? And I, I love how you framed it. There's sort of two that we've all known about and a third, which maybe, you know, makes sense in a black swan kind of way after you said it, but maybe not a lot of people are pay ten- paying attention to. So maybe let's go through those and then dig deeper into uh, how they play out. Sure. And and again, every lens, everybody's lens is going to be different. So there's yeah. no single answer, particularly in security, right? Sure. But but what I'd say is how I've kind of always looked at it at a very high level is protection, right? Is the first key thing that everybody looks for is, you know, how do I, what are the things I need to do to, to implement controls and protection within my environment? You, you go back to the early days where it was just, antivirus and firewalls, right, was right. kind of the core. of, And that's where you started to see kind of the emergence of security as a discipline. Um, and people assigned within IT is saying, okay, now you're security people. Now, again, larger companies and more uh, technology-driven companies were probably earlier than the rest of us. But most businesses, you know, started in the mid-90s of having to kind of address basic protection. Um, And that's a deep well, right? I mean, there's a tremendous amount of work that goes on there and and it's where, you know, security budgets and security time is a lot of time is spent. Um, And then the second one is, well, did you want to go deeper into that one? No, let's let's hear it because I think the interesting one is your third because that's really where the meat is. So let's do the first two and then we'll go deeper on the third. Sure. And then regulatory and compliance, right? We all got hit with SOX and then HIPAA 
and then um started seeing pci and uh you know nurk sip for the folks that are in the the power industry and we started seeing a lot of regular regulatory requirements that were born out of i'll I'll call it the lack of protection right these regulating bodies said hey you need to start um these are the minimum things you need to do from a protection standpoint or from an audit standpoint to make sure that you're not putting things in jeopardy Mm um and so that was an area that you know again grew very it 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 got importance because it was mandated (laughs) yeah there was no ifs ands or buts you're gonna do it yeah um so it was easy to i'm not gonna say it was easy to justify the the spin but it it very quickly became a requirement and this it is what it is this is what we're gonna have to do Mm -hmm. and the, the the quality at which people could do it quality maybe not a, the best word, but the level of effort that organizations expend on it certainly varies, but it, that's going to depend on the, a lot of times on the impact of violation of those requirements, of the regulatory and compliance requirements. Yeah. And and those are, I think, you know, as I was saying earlier, those are things we all are aware of and in some, some way have interacted with probably on a pretty regular basis for a while. Um, but I think you kind of have this idea about kind of how security impacts the business it seems like there's a lot there so i wonder if maybe spell that out and then we can go deeper on that one sure it's it's uh, you know as security is matured right and we it's constantly evolving it it's um one of the things that we're seeing more and more is that in, in as in our consulting practice one of the things that we always focused on was understanding what the requirements were and where they were born <clears throat> And then understanding what's more, why are, why is one thing more important than another? Mm-hmm. And really, it came down to beginning to look at how um, technology relates to the business. Why things exist? Why are they there? How are they mm-hmm. enabling the business? I had we were in an internal conversation earlier today. One of our our long term guys who was a consultant in the compliance space before and now he's on the on the software side. He said he first learned about the importance of business. One of his first lessons was when he worked at an amusement park when he was a teenager. And they were complaining because their squeegees broke. Their window squeegees. Yeah. And they told their boss and he's like, squeegees don't make money. So deal with it. <laughs> yeah. And that was, you know, in simplest terms, you know, you you move that into a more mature environment and it begins becomes important to understand, you know, what are the things that are important to the business? Are we you know, are are we manufacturing uh cereal, right? Yeah. Or are we providing electricity? Right. And what are the what's the technology that's supporting those core functions of the business? Um, And those were kind of basic, but I'll give you a bit one that was a bit more nuanced. Uh, We worked with a customer years ago uh, in the banking space and they had a line of business that what they did was they packaged mortgage products and essentially sold them. Mm -hmm. So they would put together, you know, hundreds of, 
of consumer mortgages and sell it as a product. And they had an application that was essentially like a trading floor, a commodity hmm. trading floor for them where these where people were, I say people, entities were bidding on yeah. these products. That application went down. People got in a lot of trouble. Yeah. Um, but if you didn't know, right, it's just another server. It's just another piece of software yeah. running. Um, but the relevance of that, technology stack to their business was critical. Yeah. Well, you, you bring up the point about like, you know, understanding what's more important and sort of, you know, what are the squeegees and what are the, uh, you know, what are the, what's the, what's the, what's the moneymaker that, you know, the ticket the, the, sales, the, right. In the sales, amusement right? park analogy, right. it's, it's yeah. the, the kiosk where they can sell the tickets. Right. And I, I always find them because, you know, we're in the, the custom software space that, you know, when you, when you talk about what it costs to build something, it's treated like a commodity or it's, you know, you're buying a hundred tons of steel or whatever. But when you talk about, you know, the, you know, the risk of losing a market that's a, you know, $50 million market or to your point, the, you know, the risk of, you know, that, that application sounds like it's million dollars a minute lost. So, you know, the, the cost, if you really want to talk about the cost of keeping the security infrastructure in place is you can look at it as a cost or you can look at it as how to not lose a million dollars a minute. Is that kind of the, the framing? Yeah, absolutely. Right. It's, um, it can equate, and I, I get very opinionated when it comes to equating a dollar value to technology, mm -hmm. particularly in security, right? It's one of the things that people have said, and we've seen in software products, where they'll say, oh, it's, it's a mil this thing is worth, this application is worth a million dollars a minute. Well, from a security mm -hmm. perspective, my first question is, is that per incident? Is it per hour? Yeah. Is it cumulative? If I have two machines or two entirely dis different business applications involved, is it additive? Is it exponential? Like right. it's hard to, it, be it begins to get very hard to quantify those into numbers and communicate those up the stack. Because ultimately what you're trying to do is say, here's where we're at risk and quantify it. Let me restate, communicate that in a way that leadership understands whether mm -hmm. leadership is someone at a director or a VP level sure. all the way up to the board. Because again, if you look at that um, mortgage application, the that's something that you could, the board would understand. They are looking at the, the profit that's derived from that product that they're selling. And they understand if that's put at risk, I mean, you, you said you recognize it very quickly. You're not even in the banking space. And you said, wow, it sounds like if that goes down, that's yeah. a lot of money per minute that the board is going to understand the, maybe not the hourly impact, but certainly the quarterly and annual impact that that yeah. business service has. Well, and it's funny, you even brought up and there's, there's a cumulative effect, but there's also, you know, if it's down for a thousand or 5,000 minutes in a row, Maybe you're just out of business. You know, there's like you can get pretty extreme with like it's not it doesn't just add up linearly. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, you know, and, and then you look at there's ones that are and there's in the middle, right? You look at the volume of breaches that we've had over the years. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't say the volume. Look at the breaches that we've had over the years and the ones that haven't put companies out of business, but have cost them a tremendous amount of money. Um yeah. 
And, and well, the, some, that, that Target one's pretty famous with the HVAC vendor. Are there other big stories that come to mind for you that you sort of use when you're telling your story? The well, in our industry, here's what I'll say: I'm not. A, there's FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. It's okay. the the. It's kind of the worst way to sell security technology, mm. right? And we see it all the time. So I want yeah. to be very careful with what I'm about to go into. Okay. And a lot of sure. FUD relates to saying, oh, look at what happened to these folks. So I want to caveat that for people that are listening and know that I'm okay. not a huge fan of, of throwing people under the bus or trying to scare people. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the big ones uh, over the years, Target, obviously, Equifax, um, and Equifax brings up kind of an excellent example of understanding where technology was putting their business at risk. In that example, a simple, and I, I say that carefully, a simple yeah. or relatively simplistic vulnerability was on a key application that had access to customer data that mm -hmm. was internet facing. Yeah. I mean, so it was in a hostile environment. It had their crown jewels. And when you look at Equifax, their business is customer data. That's yeah. what they do. Um, no, it didn't obviously didn't put it out of put them out of business, but it cost them a lot of money, um, a lot of effort, um, certainly impact to their reputation. It's gonna be a long time before anyone forgets what happened. Yeah. To Equifax. And well, so if, if you're to reframe this in a non-FUD, whatever the opposite of FUD is, like how do you how do you like to frame it in a way that you think is more productive? So it's um, in the I would kind of break it into pieces, right? And if if um, the first is under, understanding how technology is putting your business at risk, because mm -hmm. it's very personal, right, to each of these companies. Um, we can give examples, right, and share like, but the key is understanding what's important to your individual business and how do you gain visibility there to understand where technology is potentially putting that business, that hmm. portion of your business at risk. Um, and when I say business, right, that's a kind of a generic term, but yeah. But again, it's that portion of your business, that segment, because we, we all have to do a whole bunch of things. I mean, the if if you imagined your life before you started your company versus the reality of what it is today, there's probably a lot of things that you do that you had no idea you would be doing. Right. We're both smiling because it's a lot. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot of extra stuff. And yeah. it may be stuff that you don't want to do and don't want to focus on, but you have to. Um, it has to be done. And then security, when you're looking at security, you can kind of frame it in th that same way. It's like if the things that you care about that you know are important to your business, protect those at all. You know, I'm mm -hmm. not going to say at all costs, but, you know, focus your efforts there. And, and then as you're scaling down, you know, supporting operations, right? The things that that you need to do to run your business. But if they're down a day, a week, maybe even a month, you'll survive. You'll be fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's going to cause a little bit of pain and it'll a heartache, and but it's not going to crush you, right? Mm -hmm. And it's it's not going to put your core business at risk. Yeah. 
Well, what about, you know, you, you talk about here, uh, looking at our notes here about kind of where, um, you know, business applications relating to the line of business and software relating to business applications. Talk about that, that sort of layer of getting into the underlying problem there. Yeah, it's, and if you go a step higher, it's, uh, it's always inventory, right? Mm -hmm. The things you have, right? It's taking stock of the technology that you have. And in that, in those notes, the example, what we always want to do and kind of, again, I, some of it will sound like the Holy grail from an inventory standpoint, but it's, I don't care about an individual server, right? It's technology, it's hardware, it's applications, it's configuration, and that's it. What I care about is that business service or business. And I use the term business application because it's a grouping of, of services that are providing something to the that's enabling a portion of the business right right right? and then so that business application that grouping of stuff is software hardware and and infrastructure other supporting elements right and so if i can then understand if i can look at a line of business and then i can understand what applications are enabling that line of business I can then begin to understand, get better granularity into where each individual technology component is putting those services at risk rather than trying to look at at a whole bunch of servers and saying, okay, here's a hundred servers and here's the exposures or vulnerabilities they have and which one should I fix? It, It gets very hard, but if I just look at say, okay, here's my core, here's, here's the, business services that matter most to me. And then underneath that, then I'm grouping those technologies underneath that. Then I can say, okay, here's the things that really are going to get me in trouble. Right. And so what makes, what makes that inventory so hard? So what we found over the years is, is it's inventory typically is something that's owned by IT. Um, Gartner's using, calling it INO, I think is their new term. And I can't remember what that stands for. Uh, infrastructure network and operations, I think is what that they, that stands for, but I call it kind of IT ops. Right. And so when you look at their inventory, the primary reason that IT cares about inventory is kind of old school classic. Right. It's mm-hmm. I've got new hardware in. Yeah. It's got a depreciation. It's got a life and a depreciation schedule. And I've got to get it in and then I've got to get it out. Right. And I got to know who right. owns it and all yeah. those things. Um, but security doesn't care about the life cycle. It cares about now. Like mm-hmm. I care about everything that's on the wire. And I'll give you an ex- a, a real example. Again, another customer. Um we pulled information from their CMDB, which is where most people are storing their inventories, whether you're using something like uh, ServiceNow or, or Tivoli or Alteris, some, whatever it is. Um, you pull inventory from those systems, or in this example, what we did was we pulled inventory and there was a lot of things that were labeled as decommissioned. And you think of, Mm. and, but what we did, what we found was that those things were still on the wire. 
So oh. if they're on the wire in the environment, that's still security risk. There's things yeah. that could happen, right? And and you look at how the folks that, and I say help desk, but the people in those areas are, their performance is measured is typically the rate of ticket closure, right? Mm, true. And so if you have someone that's, that's measured by that from a performance standpoint. And the last step is to unplug it, unrack it, you know, and put it on a pallet to be shipped for recycling. Or in the case of a VM, just powering it off, even as simple yeah. as powering it off, let alone deleting it or purging it. Um, you know, they, they, we found a significant volume of things mm. that, were labeled as decommissioned, but were still active. Some things were still providing service to the business as well. Wow. They wow. weren't technically decommissioned, but their life cycle had ended according to their schedule. So they worked through the process, but just failed to finish those final steps wow. of getting it wow. out. That's funny. That is kind of a perverse incentive where if you're incentivized to close the ticket, but part of the ticket is to get up and go over there and do something, you might just say, yeah, I'm done. I'm moving on to the next ticket. That one's yeah. closed. Because it seems harmless. I think part of what we're talking about is there's some things that like that, that people are aware of and that maybe here's something they would have ignored and said, well, what's the problem with having a, a decommissioned server out there? We're not using it. But again, now that you think about it, yeah, that is a big, that's a black swan problem. Yep. And then you get, then, you know, that's, it I'll call that kind of an old school problem. Then you move into the new school, which yeah. is um, elastic services, right. And cloud enabled services. Sure. And you have, not only do you have, you know, let's call it servers or virtual server, virtual devices spinning up and down to meet demand, but you have containers that are yeah. coming and going as well. And again, those are resources that, that provide services that also can contain exposures and put mm -hmm. the business at risk. So maintaining, those inventories becomes increasingly difficult, right? And there is a difference between a container, a dormant container and an active container, right? Yeah. So um, knowing you could have one that's on the wire and active, but you could have, and that's certainly more important than one that's kind of sitting dormant waiting to spin up. If you're going to, if I'm going to do one thing, like if I'm going to put out one fire, I'm going to put out the fire <laughs> that that is active versus the one that could start sometime soon. So, but again, it's all that information, all it's really, it's, it's just like the, a lot of what we're doing from a technology standpoint, it's using more data. Mm -hmm. Give me more data elements that I can use to make solid decisions. Yeah. And that's really what it comes down to. So, so what are some things? So, so, you know, if you're listening to this and you're in a, in a business that has a lot of these potential vulnerabilities, you're thinking to yourself, what should I do next? Um, Alex, what should I do next? Like what, what, what's a way to sort of, uh, assess and then put a plan together to get it to mitigate what you might have out there? Well, the, the good news is there's a couple of approaches that have kind of come out in the last few years. Um, and one is it, and they all relate to data, right? It's using, using data. And I'm going to put, I'll put it into two categories. There's technical risk and then there's business risk, right? Mm -hmm. Now, ideally, we're using both of those and finding the intersection of technical right. risk and business risk. But we talked about at a baseline, understanding the business and building that inventory and keeping it accurate 
and up to date near real time yeah. can be a challenge. But something that's easy for people to do out of the gate is to use threat information to prioritize vulnerabilities. And I'll throw mm. out a couple of quick numbers. In an, okay. in an average organization that has about 25,000 assets, they'll likely have well over a million vulnerabilities, unique instances of a vulnerability on a machine. And most machines, you know, you can have anywhere from, I'm not going to say zero, but you could have 10 to 100, right, mm -hmm. on an individual device. And when you look at those, a vulnerability, there's a relationship. You, a vulnerability is a weakness, right? And an exploit is a thing that takes advantage of that weakness. Not every vulnerability has an ex exploit. Hmm. So then if I could separate those out, that's one thing that I can do very quickly is I can separate out, okay, if no one ever has even figured out how to exploit it, I'm going to put that very low on my list. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then if I take those things where an exploit exists and I can break that into a couple of categories, I can say, okay, an exploit exists and someone has used it in the wild at some point. Yeah, sure. And that that's another shockingly big division. You can push a whole lot of things over to the side because an exploit exists, but no one's ever figured out how to use it. Hmm. Um, and then when you look at those where someone's actively used it, then you can break it down and even a little further and you can say, well, which ones are attackers currently using, right? Mm -hmm. What's been used and what's been seen in the wild in the last 90 days, right? And we, we kind of refer to that as imminent risk, right? It's, it's not absolute, right? But it's the probability that you could face that issue is about as high as you can get. Right. Um, and you can do that without kind of any, any of the, the understanding any of the, what we call business risk. But then if you're able to get some basic things, right. So, um, I won't go to Nirvana, but I'll go to kind of the basic things like let's take regulatory and compliance, right? Mm -hmm. I mentioned that as kind of a second thing we have to yeah, deal with. Sure. Well, if I can add in and I can say of all the things in my environment, let me prioritize anything that falls under regulatory or compliance requirement higher than the other things. It's kind mm -hmm. of an easy thing to do. It's a, yeah. you already have that inventory because you're getting audited on it. So use that information. Um, and then you can start digging a little deeper, kind of chunking things out and saying, okay, what, what do we know that's very important? And then just kind of adding those individual data elements into what you're focusing on so that um, the goal is that in what we found, right, in most orgs, you're going to have more problems than you have time to fix. So yeah. if I've got 100 things to do and I only have time and resources to do 10 of them, how do I make sure that I'm doing the right 10 things? And again, I'll equate this to the business owner side. Mm -hmm. We have <laughs> more than a hundred things we need to do sure. and we cannot do them all right. You, yeah. you don't have an infinite pile of money or pile of resources to throw at all the things that you want to do or that you need yeah. to do. So you have to pick the things that are going to make the biggest impact. Right. Um, is, is it fair to say, I mean, you could never have, 100% coverage on 100% of the inventory, and it's about prioritizing 
where you're most likely to have a problem on the biggest business risk? Is that a way to? Unfortunately, yeah. we're finding yeah. that's true, yeah. right? It's you no, know, the smaller the organization, the more likely they are. Like if you have, you know, 200 employees, odds are it's a solvable problem. Hmm. But you get to 10,000, 20,000, 50,000, the volume of things that exist in those environments and the requirements, the the the, the processes that evolve around those yeah. make it untenable. Right. Um, There's so many different interactions and just it sort of multiplies the number of possible ways yep. things can go wrong. Yeah. Um, and I'll, I'll give you one of the other kind of ironies that we see yeah. and it. I shouldn't say it makes me laugh because it sounds unsympathetic, but it's it's truly ironic. When you think about patching, right, because a patch fixes things or it, it fixes vulner yeah. – a lot of cases fixes vulnerabilities, um, among other things. But anybody that's done patching or worked in that space knows that in a large environment, you can't just deploy patch to every device, right? Yeah. The, if it's and the reason is because patches can break things. Mm -hmm. And so typically organizations have an exception process in place, right? And the and more often than not, the application owners, those business application owners, are the ones who file the exceptions, right? That say, mm -hmm. Don't patch my stuff. Don't touch mine. Yeah, I don't want mine right? down. Yeah. And if you had to guess, who would you suggest is gonna or what would be the the most common attribute of the people that don't want their stuff patched. Probably non-technical people that just want their business unit up in the high value yeah. things. Yeah. So go back to that wholesale mortgage application. Yeah. They're never going to want to get patched because if it goes down, they're in trouble. Everybody's right. in trouble. Right. right. But that's the most high value thing. And, and so that's the irony we found is that exceptions tend to exist more frequently on high value uh, which are the ones that should be the ones we're paying attention to because if they go down, right? So they're 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 playing the game of um, I'd rather have it up and not be in trouble for the risk of it being down. And if it goes down, they're they're not even going to. It's almost like they're in denial about the fact that it could go down. Yeah, it, exactly. Yeah. And it um, there was a, an instance where we we're working with a customer and, and it was around patching and there was a couple of different groups that were reporting in to a single individual and, and reporting in their patching levels. And they were saying on a monthly basis, they were reporting in that their patching was well above 90% complete. So they were saying mm -hmm. I'm 93% complete. I'm 98% complete. I'm 97, whatever. Well, then we started pulling the data and we found that, they one was in the seventies and the other two were in the low eighties. Yeah. Um, and again, these were, this environment had tens of thousands of servers and hundreds of thousands of endpoints. So it was very large in scale. And, um, the primary difference was when they were reporting 90%, they weren't including exceptions. Yeah. So they That's were saying say, we're 90% yeah. of the people that will let us patch. Yeah. Right. So it well, looks good, but that risk is not gone. It's yeah. accepted, right? So it's it, it's still there, but the person that accepted it, to your point a minute ago, is they're typically not technical. They're yeah. 
they're responsible for a business function yeah. and providing so, that business function. So, so maybe as a, as a parting thought here, um, I mean, that sounds like a really, really valuable conversation to have and be successful in. So, uh, you know, if, if someone's listening to this going, oh, man, I know exactly what system we need to look at in our org and no one's going to let me near it. What are, what are some ways or a story or a framing you think you could be successful in winning that business unit over? Getting the person to fix their issue? Is that what yeah, you're asking? Saying, okay, 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 yes, come and, you know, maybe we'll get, you know, if, if there's going to be an hour downtime at midnight on Sunday, you can do it because I understand how important this is. This is kind of hard, right? And this is this is where you start to get into the politics, right? And we've all dealt yeah. with with politics. But this is one where, again, you think you're dealing with someone in security, so way down the stack, so to speak, talking to someone that's far down an entirely different stack. Yeah. And the closest that they may meet, their their reporting structures may meet, is at the CEO level. Interesting. Right? Yeah, yeah. Right? I can see what you're saying. Sure. Because again, think of that finance example I, I I gave. The person that's in that business that's responsible for those things probably doesn't report up through IT. They're reporting mm -hmm. up through finance, right? right. Or operations, right? right? And and um, so really, it starts to come down to accountability. And security teams need to get very good at communicating risk, right? And and risk acceptance. Because those individuals need to, that accountability needs to be understood, right? Mm -hmm. So this individual and being able to say, hey, this business group, this whether it's a line of business or a business application owner or whoever it is, here's the aggregate risk that they're accepting. Yeah. And acceptance is, is doesn't mean it goes away. It means they're accepting this risk. To the business and and you go to some of those previous examples that happened in the real world and those folks may not understand the impact mm -hmm. of their acceptance uh, uh, the potential impact of their acceptance and unfortunately right what we see is if a if an issue if a breach occurs the CISO bears the weight of that responsibility right even though right. someone else right. accepted the risk and, yeah and that end of the CISO doesn't have either doesn't have good visibility into that acceptance because of kind yeah. of the communication channels and the processes that exist underneath them or whatever. So anyway, I gave you a long kind of, no, it's answer. great. I mean, it sounds like in a way that, that that role could get handcuffed if they don't have visibility and sort of uh, ability to tell, uh, tell the right kind of story to those branches of the org that they don't have direct uh, yep. influence over. And it's not, and when you go up to that level, it's not saying, Oh, this, you know, it's not giving technical details. It's not saying mm -hmm. this CVE ID or right. this person has these <laughs> hundred things. It's, it can be as simple as saying there's issues on that server that attackers are using in the wild actively yeah. in campaigns. And, and they're going to find one of our core applications. How do we fix that mm -hmm. one issue? Because mm -hmm. it could take down a key part of our business. Right. And that's something that can be understood at the C level. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, hey, so this has been great. I really appreciate uh, uh, going through some of the some of these framings about security. I know I, I picked up a few ideas and tricks myself. That's great. Uh, thanks for being on. I'd love to have you on again sometime, and we'll go into some, one of these a little bit deeper again. You bet. You made it all the way to the end. Thanks. Don't forget to subscribe and like this video to hear more content just like this.